Hi, friends, and welcome to the Story Forge podcast. I'm Lyle Smith, your host, and we're still calling this series of conversations Outbreak Edition because we're all still dealing with the effects of the coronavirus outbreak as both a health and economic crisis. We're all still trying to navigate what we each consider important right now and how we might help each other survive and thrive and press on to understand whatever comes next. And that's what's so important right now, helping. To say out loud, I want to help people. I want to give back. I want to change the world for the better. Some of the best, most inspirational leaders out there say the key to success is not a product or a service, but a solution. When what you're offering solves a problem for someone else, that's when you can say, I'm setting out to change the world and really mean it. And that's the kind of person I have a conversation with today. Kadira Abdur-Rahim truly is a world changer. Kadira is the CEO of Future Foundation in Atlanta. Future Foundation is a not-for-profit endeavor founded by Kadira's brother, NBA star Sharif Abdur-Rahim. And the idea was simple. Find a way to give back to the Fulton County neighborhoods in Atlanta where they and their siblings grew up. Neighborhoods that have just a 43 to 45% high school graduation rate. Find a way to help other young people get prepared to succeed in life in an environment that was failing many of them. It began as basically an after-school support program, a safe place for their students to go after school to get some guidance, some tutoring, some mentoring. And it worked. And it has grown. With Kadira as its driving force, Future Foundation has gone from just a couple of employees to now about 50. Eight locations around those same Atlanta neighborhoods. About a thousand students every year who now have what Kadira and her team call a second family. They have a place to go with that same tutoring, mentoring, and guidance, but they also have opportunities generated by volunteers from all over the city. Internships, face-to-face interactions, opportunities to see what they might become that they maybe never knew existed before. They have a new frame of reference, and since Future Foundation began in 2004, this program has maintained a 100% graduation rate. Every one of their enrolled students graduates and goes on to something beyond high school. And that is success, no matter how you measure it. So here's my conversation with Kadira Abdur-Rahim. So... This week, um, we've been hearing in the news, uh, uh, the governor of Georgia uh, doing a lot of talking about reopening the economy. Uh, so I've been thinking about you and, and you know, how are things and, and your mayor uh, still encouraging people to, to stay at home and, and, and be careful and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So there's some sort of conflict and messaging coming from different uh, areas of your, your government. So um, I was thinking about you. And I thought, I have to ask, how are things going for you and Atlanta? And what's it like up there? Atlanta has a rich history of being extremely resilient. And um, I think we are seeing that resilience come to fruition today um, during this crisis. And 
I think we are getting a lot of mixed messaging, but I think a lot of people are also looking at data and making the decisions that are important for their families and their workforce at this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I've been talking to people in all kinds of different parts of the, the country. I talked to a friend um, from, from my agency days in New York City, and he, was, he lives across the street or around the corner from one of the big hospitals in Queens. And, you know, they go out for a walk in the evening and they, and they hear all the, the applause for the, the hospitals at seven o'clock and all that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I talked to a friend in California and they're pretty much staying, you know, in their, if not in their house, in their yard. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, how about you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you this, I'm, I'm pretty much, because I, I am looking at the data. As you know, I'm a very data-driven person. Absolutely. Um, and I am looking at the data. And um, because of that data, I am, very, I am staying very close to home. I right. don't know if you know this. Um, I recently got married a couple of, of months ago. Um, so I'm a newlywed. And Congratulations. Well, thank you. I, didn't, I was not aware of that. Yes. Very good. It, Congratulations. Thank you. And um, so I'm living with my husband now, and he's a golfer, and he's been trying to get out of the house to play golf. And, you know, I'm just really not encouraging him leaving to go play golf or anything like that. So we are really staying very close to home, and we get out for the occasional walk and stuff, but, you know, we're staying close to home. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. We, we do sort of neighborhood bike rides and stuff like that, but we, we really stay away from everybody else. And, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of sun, sunlight and fresh air is a good thing, but. Um, it's good, but I think there's so much unknown yeah. about this virus. It's, you know, for two months, don't, you don't have to wear masks. You don't have to do this. And then a couple of months later, it's different messaging. So I think we're hearing different messaging from really, all aspects of this this situation so government health and because we don't know much and because it can change it just right. might be important to stay close to home in fact you know the state is opening up but we as an organization probably will not go back to work until june 1st yeah yeah i mean that, that all kind of makes sense to me well let's talk about your organization you are the ceo of the future foundation how about you tell me, what, what is it and uh, what was it created to achieve? Well, Future Foundation was founded back in 2001 by my brother, Sharif Abdurrahim, who is an ex-NBA player and now the president of the G League. And when Sharif and I got to college, we both had, we went to the same university, uh, University of California, Berkeley, and we went at the same time. So we were both freshmen at the same time, and we got there and we were just completely unprepared to compete academically. And so it was during the summer of our freshman year that Sharif said, you know, gosh, this is just so hard. If we ever get an opportunity or if I ever get an opportunity, I want to go back to Atlanta and start something that are going to support children who look like me to make sure they finish high school and have the support to go to some type of post-secondary institution. Mm -hmm. And so in 2001, Sharif founded Future Foundation, and we are very much focused on uh, leveling the playing field for kids in Atlanta and helping them break the cycle of generational poverty. Right. 
Right. It's, and you guys are doing an amazing job. I know, um, you know, cause I've done a little bit of work for you over the years and it's, uh, uh, so I know your story a bit. And, um, the thing that, that knocks me out every single time is cause you're, we're talking about neighborhoods with, you know, a high school graduation rate in, in the forties, you know, 43, mm-hmm. 45%. And you're, Operation, future foundation participants, um, family members, I guess. Second, they are. Second family our, members. They are our family members, yes. Right. Um, have a 100% graduation rate. Uh, so they all graduate high school and go on to something else, mm-hmm. which is extraordinary to me. I mean, it's, they're, they're, it's, it's success by any measure. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a phenomenal um organization you guys have created there and grown from you know a couple of a couple of people in an office to uh last time i spoke it was about 40 or so people no so it's about 50 people now excellent so so we grew it from two to 15 or i'm sorry two to 50 and then we started off with uh servicing about 15 kids and i mean i remember in 2010, we closed a year servicing 5,000 kids and families. So we've downsized since 2010 to servicing about 1,000 kids annually. But our, our reach over time has been very expansive um, and you know we're continuing to grow. Excellent. We have about um, eight after school sites now. When I started, we had one. So um, this is my 17th year at Future Foundation. I can't believe it. It's been a long time, but it's been a lot of wonderful, very impactful work. And I've seen um, a lot of kids grow up from middle school to to now adults and having families of their own. So um, I'm seeing the return of investment of this work um, back into our communities in very impactful ways. Right. Um, Fantastic. That's great. So you, uh, so Sharif, your brother, mm-hmm. uh, tell me the story. I'm just going to ask you to tell me the story. Because okay. You, 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 I, 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 he was a basketball player uh, yes. of, of some skill. Uh, who of, eventually, of, of a large skill. Yes. Who eventually was, was, was offered uh, scholarships to a variety of different colleges and, and, and he, he honed in on, um, on Berkeley uh, mm-hmm. to go to. And so you both ended up going there at the same time. Tell me that story. Tell me how that happened. Okay, so Sharif and I have been, we're in the same grade since the sixth grade. So we went from middle school all through high school together in the same grade. And um, Sharif was a big basketball player in the state of Georgia. So he won um, Mr. Georgia basketball, I think maybe two years in a row. Um, I was also a pretty big uh, track and field athlete. So I got recruited. He got recruited. What did you we What did at, you run? I ran the 400 and the 800. Very good. And occasionally the 1500 and also ran cross country. And so we have been athletes our entire lives. I probably have been running since the age of five. Sharif has probably been playing basketball since the age of 
four or six, who knows, but our entire <laughs> lives. In fact, our parents told all of us, it's, I have four other siblings, you guys all will go to college on some type of athletic scholarship, and we did. Um, and so Sharif and I were both slated to go to Georgia Tech because that's where we wanted to go. I was going to go on a track scholarship. He was going to go on a basketball scholarship. We'd always been together since middle school. And then a young African-American coach came and seduced him away. I mean, we had a lot of um, high-profile coaches in our living room that summer, any from everywhere you could think, North Carolina, Duke, everybody, Arkansas, everybody was there. And this young African-American coach, Todd Bozeman, came and seduced him away to Cal Berkeley. And Sharif went for a visit and fell in love. And um, because it was the first time that we were perhaps going to be separated, he said, hey, my sister is a really good track and field runner. Do you think your track and field coach can look at her tapes? And they did and um, offered me a scholarship too. Fantastic. And so that's, that's how we both got out there. And I had never visited California. So Sharif went on the customary <laughs> visit. I had never gone, but because he said he was going and we should go together, I said, okay. And I threw away all of my coats and jackets and all of my, <laughs> my uh, warm clothing because I thought I was going to sunny California. And I got there and was freezing. So. <laughs> and you learned that Mark Twain said the coldest winter he ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that's, that's, I love that story. I think that's fantastic. Just that, that, that you would have that kind of relationship with your brother uh, or your brother would, your brother would have that kind of relationship with you that he would think to say, yeah, let's see if we can do that. And that's, mm -hmm. that's just fantastic to me. Um, so that's, you know, 3000 plus miles away mm -hmm. to a place you've never been, you know, the East coast and the West coast are very different places. Uh, what was that? What was that like for you? It was a huge culture shock. Um, and you know, you say that East, the East Coast versus West Coast, but you, often, you also have to throw in there the South, right? right. So I'm coming from the South, um, going to a very, very, very diverse place with lots of different cultures. And it was, it was definitely a culture shock. But I would say maybe only a culture shock for about one to two months. And then okay. I fell in love. Right. I mean, I absolutely fell in love. And for anyone who has been to the Bay Area, anyone who lives in the Bay Area, it is just a majestical place um, surrounded by mountains and water and a beautiful group of people that, you know, and you can't help but fall in love with that place. So, yeah. um, in fact, I never thought I would move back to Atlanta because I loved it so much. Right. So I, I still have dreams of going back <laughs> <laughs> someday. at some point. Yeah. Someday. someday. Well, when you yeah. scale the future foundation to be in every neighborhood that needs it across the country. <laughs> I well, I like that idea. That don't is, laugh. That is don't a, laugh. That's a, I, I'm not, I'm not laughing. <laughs> that, is an, that is an idea and that is a vision because, um, you know, this whole notion of, of the world being a village to one another or a second family is, is critical. Um, and I think people are seeing that more with this COVID-19 crisis more than ever. Um, right. People need a second family and people need help and, and support to rely on because a lot of people are 
um, either alone like the elderly and or, um, you know, living in poverty stricken conditions and without someone checking in on them, um, you know, negative things may be happening that don't have to happen to them, like being able to have a healthy meal. Right. I mean, these are all, these are all real things. And, and I think what's, what's going on now with the pandemic um, and the stay at home orders and, and the shifting of schools to online education out of pure necessity. I mean, it's just, it's just bringing all of those issues uh, right up to the surface for everybody to see. And there's no, people can't ignore them anymore. You know, because there's a lot of people who just, you know, who, who don't understand or have never seen it. They think, oh, well, you know, it's, we're, it's, it's 2020. It's not, you know, 1950 anymore. None of that mm-hmm. stuff's going on. And, and they, they can't ignore it now. They can't ignore that, you know, people need help. They need, like you say, that second family thing. And, and that approach you take is really captivating to me. Um, because, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I haven't, I never lived in that kind of a, kind of a place. What was, what was it like? What was it like uh, growing up for you? I mean, what it, what it was like growing up for me is, is very, I won't say it's very different from our kids, but I will say that one difference that I see like across some of the students that we serve that is very similar to my upbringing is that uh, I had a family intact. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe if your water got cut off or, you know, you didn't have food or you knew if you came home from the school bus that your furniture and stuff might be in the front because you heard your parents talking and you didn't know like where you were going to live that night and things like that 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 kind of stuff happens, right? But if you have a family in place and intact, you have somebody with you and um, you're not alone and it helps you, you know, get through anything, right? Um, and, you know, that's what it was like for me growing up, knowing that I had a mom and a dad and these four other siblings. We were a tribe and, you know, we, we, we were together, and if anything happened, um, we, we worked through it together. But there are families, you know, today and back then that did not have that type of support. Um, and so I think that experience of um, being able to climb out of poverty through education and through familial support is really how Future Foundation has been, has been birthed um, or was birthed and really plays a large part into a lot of the strategies that, you know, we execute today to help kids that, you know, look like me and Sharif um, have a similar experience to me and Sharif growing up. Right. I mean, it sounds very much like, like the, the program or, or programs you have created with Future Foundation are really built around your own experience of, of whether it's your personal experience or the, the experience you saw around you growing up, um, which is interesting. Um, how, uh, how's your, how's your folks? Are your folks still around? 
Yeah, everybody's still around. Um, we've been doing family Zoom meetings. Um, <laughs> so things are things are going really well. Um, and, you know, we've been blessed as individuals and as a family. And so I think one of the things our parents imparted, you know, on us was to always give back. Um, right. Yeah. And so I think, you know, that's why Sheree founded Future Foundation. I think that's why I do this work um, because I think that, you know, we've seen firsthand what support can do for individuals and families. Right. I mean, with our own individual, with our own families, we've seen what that support can mean. And so um, it's a, I think it's a familial value of ours to give back. And I think, you know, more people have to think like that and, and do that so that we can all be a greater society. So you, you went to Berkeley and then uh, discovered that how you put it is you were, you were unprepared yes. uh, for the education they were prepared to give you out there. Exactly. Um, so how did you overcome that? Wow. Um, through, I, I would just say through resilience and hard work. I mean, you know, it's, you get to the point where you get to a point where you just don't know where you don't, what you don't know. And I remember um, being in a statistics, a statistics class and not knowing pre-algebra and the, tutor like looking at me saying like I don't even know how you got to Cal Berkeley and you don't know this and I remember writing and I remember like crying because like I didn't know I was supposed to know that and then I remember writing a paper and <laughs> I wasn't separating the paragraphs I was like writing the paper with you know paragraphs not separated and somebody said to me like what are you doing like right. you, you have to like separate your paragraphs and my grammar was all over the place right. um but these were not things that you know I learned growing up in my school systems and it didn't mean that like I wasn't intelligent or smart it just meant that like I didn't get the fundamentals right um because I've since gone on and gotten two other degrees and those were struggles too because I didn't have some of the fundamentals but what I've learned is like you just can't get up give up one and then two everything is like an iterative process keep going through these different opportunities and you learn through each opportunity and you you build your skills through the first master's program well, undergrad the first time then you go to your first master's program you continue to build on that then you go to your third one and continue to build on that. So it's like an iterative process where you just continue right. to grow and learn. But that's a very, that's a very savvy perspective, even as a, like a, a college freshman, you know, cause you know, college freshmen are, you're still a kid, mm -hmm. you know, you're still learning all kinds of stuff, but it's easy to, to have somebody say some of the things that were said to you and think, Oh God, I'm just, I'm just stupid. I'm never going to get this done. But to have, the perspective being in that situation and say, well, that, yeah, I, just cause I don't know, you know, my grammar rules or my comma rules or my, you know, uh, you know, algebra, uh, I have trouble with this kind of algebra concept doesn't make me dumb. It just makes me, um, I'm not familiar with those particular things. Um, so you take, the intelligence you have and apply it to that and get past it another way. Was there anybody who kind of 
helped you through that? Any mentors, any inspirational figures? I mean, so I'll, I will initially say like undergrad, I didn't know the common rules. You know, people might have said I should have known this stuff. And initially, my perspective was just pure competitive. I mean, I'm an athlete. I've always been an athlete. And somebody tells me I can't do something or I shouldn't be somewhere, then from a competition standpoint, I just wanted to prove them wrong. Um, so from a resilience, I'm going to not give up and move forward. That's what that was all about. But then when you start to get a little bit older, um, start to understand and build relationships with people um, like mentors um, and or peers, because I had peers around me who, you know, came from South Central LA and they were first time um, college attendees. Nobody in their family had graduated college either. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had them around me and they were my support system. So, um, we all talked about like, if one of us could do this, then we could all do it. Um, and you know, I had a roommate at the time who, um, she was from South Central LA and, um, we used to make bets like who had the highest grades, you know, we, <laughs> we would have to like pay for someone's dinner or something like that. Um, and that was really, you know, looking at all my peers around me who were like these first time college attendees, nobody in their families had graduated either. That really kind of gave me inspiration and, and planted a seed within me that like I could make it. And then, um, you know, my family, those were, I believe my um, mentors. And then I just had some really great people at great times. Um, I remember when I was applying or wanted to go to business school, I had um, a woman in a leadership program that I was in. I had just casually told her I wanted to go to business school, but I was scared about taking the, um, the GRE because it was a test, a standardized test. And, right. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the fundamentals to do that. So I was just scared about it. And she said, oh, no, I'm going to walk you to admissions. And she ended up introducing me to the admissions officer. And I mean, they just made it at Emory. They just made it to where, um, you know, I felt competent, like I could apply and get in. And I did. Um, and so I will always be grateful for Melissa Minihan, um, who um, introduced me to the admissions people at Emory. And I had a, a mentor who worked for um, a Fortune 500 company at the time who literally I would go to his office and bring my finance book and say, I need help with this. And he would show me um, how to do the different finance formulas and um, theories. And so, you know, I've had a number and still do have a great number of mentors that have been instrumental to um, my personal development and growth and, and also peer mentors. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, um, and this is something that maybe I didn't learn until much, much later in my life, uh, is that don't be afraid to to talk to people about what you're going through, what your what, what your challenges are, what you're trying to overcome, what you're trying to achieve. Um, it, you know, it's not just ask for help. It's it's like you know, talk about what's going on, whether it's with your your peers or mentors, and you know, it, it's ask and you shall receive, right? I mean, if, if people know that they can help you, they, a lot of times they will. Mm -hmm. 
So. And, and, you know, it's a, it's reciprocity because even the mentees that I have now who, you know, I've turned into a mentor of sorts and my mentees help me now. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a, it's a um, relationship that really to me has a, a, a domino effect where, you know, you're going to help somebody one day and they're going to come back and help you the next. Um, and, you know, that's how you support each other throughout life. Right. Right. I mean, absolutely. And you talk about your family a lot. Um, what are they doing? What are your, what are your other siblings doing now? We've talked about Sharif a little bit. What are my other siblings doing? So Sharif is the, uh, president of the NBA G league, which is the NBA's developmental league. Mm -hmm. Um, and is doing a really great job there. Um, I have another younger brother, who is the um, head coach at Kennesaw State, which is remarkable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have another younger brother who is an attorney and lives in Turkey. Really? Yes. And I have um, an older sister who lives in Arkansas and is um, an amazing math teacher and college professor. Fantastic. Fantastic. So everybody's gone on to... So everybody uh, different levels of, of success in their fields. That's, that's, yes. that's awesome. Yes. Um, I mean, I mean, you really have kind of an inspiring story and an inspiring family. And, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, but, uh, and one of the reasons I enjoy talking to you because you make me feel like, you know, you make people feel like they can do anything. You really do. Oh, well, thank you. I think and, that people can do anything. <laughs> they can, you really can. Yeah. You really can. So we have this this um, pandemic, stay-at-home order, uh, risk of getting coronavirus situation in the world today. And, uh, and your organization, the Future Foundation, um, at least historically, a lot of what you do is face-to-face with your with your uh, the kids in the program, uh, parents, uh, you know, mentors, volunteers, all that kind of stuff. Uh, how are you dealing with that now? Hmm. It's a great question. Um, how are we dealing with, uh, we're continuing programming. I think that the one thing that allowed us to adjust pretty quickly with this particular situation is, is that, um, Part of our work, part of our strategy was centered around data and information. Um, And we've worked hard over the last couple of years to really build data and manage information related to our students. So when COVID-19 hit our community, um, it happened for us maybe a week earlier than everyone else because some of the first cases in Georgia actually happened at the schools where our after-school sites are housed. So we, yes, so we closed down on March 9th. um, And by the following week, we had a plan in place that said, you know, one, we are going to um, assess the needs of all of our families. So we have about 500 kids and families that we serve on a daily basis. We're going to assess the needs of those families and from a case management perspective, understand who is at risk 
for not being able to meet basic needs like food, mm-hmm. hygiene, um, supplies, like going to be able, going out to be able to get Lysol and bleach, um, and then um, kids who did not have access to hardware or connectivity. Mm-hmm. So we were able to um, do that assessment rather quickly and come up with, um, you know, understanding about 60% of our kids fell into those categories mm-hmm. of not being able to access those basic needs. So we've been providing a lot of services around um, getting basic needs to about 60% of our kids. In addition, in addition to that, we've been supporting all of our kids through virtual learning. So making sure that they are getting online and getting those lessons from their teachers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've also been delivering enrichment lessons virtually. So a lot of our team, um, we're trained on social and emotional um, enrichment activities. Mm-hmm. And then um, our team has just been creative with, you know, just getting our kids engaged and doing enrichment activities. So really our work is continuing um, but just in a virtual um, atmosphere. Yeah, it's just shifted. Um, how are the kids responding to it? They, they're responding. Uh, one of the things how we communicate at Future Foundation is uh, through Slack. And yep. a lot of our team members send pictures via Slack. So I sometimes just get on Slack to like get encouraged because there's just an amazing uh, bank of pictures in there where you have kids virtually learning, you have these um, testimonials from parents who are saying, I just, thank you, I didn't know what I was gonna do for food this week, and you guys just came through and really helped me. So, um, you know, if, if anybody ever wanted to do a documentary on, you know, the effect or, things that happened during COVID, if they went into our Slack account and saw all those pictures and, uh, and some testimonials and stuff, they really get a good understanding of what was happening um, in, in communities of need. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We're seeing so much, I'm seeing at least in, in, in my own community and, and extended uh, virtual network of people. Uh, it's, it, it's, I think maybe it's because things have slowed down or seem to have slowed down or we just have more time in our homes and around each other (laughs) that we're, uh, we're, we're, you know, we're doing those personal connection things, even virtually, Mm -hmm. uh, that we kind of skipped over a lot, uh, before this, um, you know, just listening a little better, paying attention a little more, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, literally, you know, it, I, I saw an article the other day about, you know, what, what can you say that's better than how you doing? Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're, you're asking how you doing, but you really mean it, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to before, mm-hmm. maybe it was just a, a conversational space holder. So that's, I mean, that's good. I mean, I, how, how is, we're also seeing, uh, at least statistically, that communities of color are being disproportionately impacted by the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your experience with that? Because that's, that's, you know, your community is in the heart of a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, our, this, is, this is not, 
I won't. So COVID-19 is, is clearly new, Mm -hmm. but the African-American community being impacted by um, health challenges is nothing new. I think that what this pandemic is doing is just highlighting and bringing to the forefront issues of um, inequities, not just with health, but with also with finances. I mean, you have a lot of um, small businesses owned by African-Americans and they're just also not being able to take advantage of the funding um, avenues that are out there for them because many of them are sole proprietorships, sole proprietorships and things like that. And so I think what COVID-19 is doing overall is just highlighting a lot of the inequities that exist um, in communities of color. I mean, even with, you know, immigration and a lot of immigrants are tax paying citizens, but, um, you know, they're hurting right now because they aren't able to take care, able to take advantage of stimulus checks. Um, and so again, I just think that, you know, these, these inequities have been happening and people have been suffering and i think because people are home and because people are paying attention they're starting to to get an understanding of you know what people are going through that don't look like them perhaps and i hope the silver lining in all of this is that through the through this kind of education um people are developing developing a little empathy in their heart around the plight of those that are less fortunate well from your lips to all of us (laughs) all of our ears i hope that's true i'm seeing it in in, at least in small ways uh here and there and and i think a lot of these things you say are are sort of getting highlighted there's that there's you know you talk about small businesses and sole proprietors um the the small business administration defines a small business as as a business with 500 employees or less Mm-hmm. And, you know, may, maybe there are businesses out there with 500 employees that feel and act like small businesses, but it doesn't, mm-hmm. it seems a little big to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, those are things that I think need to be paid attention to. I mean, set aside the fact that these large chain restaurants are getting massive loans, mm-hmm. they say. Um Oh, it's happening. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, the field is, is, um, you know, tilted in, in certain ways and has been for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if, if this can raise some awareness among people who maybe didn't think it, maybe thought everything was equitable and just thought it was just fine mm-hmm. and are realizing that it's not, maybe that's a good thing that comes out of all this craziness. Mm-hmm. Um, how's everybody, um, health wise? Everyone is well. Everyone is well. Excellent. Yeah. That's very, very yeah. good to hear. Everyone is well. So there's going to be, no doubt, a, a new normal on the other side of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and things are going to be different. What, what do you say? And I know I, I wrote this question down, and I'm, I'm going to scratch it off because I know how you're <laughs> going to answer it. Uh, knowing, knowing you as, as um, just a little bit that I do know of you. Um, the question was, do you see all these changes as a threat or an opportunity? Oh, you know how I'm going to answer that. <laughs> I know exactly how you're going to answer that. 
So what's, <laughs> no. what do you have in mind where there's a new normal that's going to, that's going to create itself on the, on the far end of this? I mean, um, it's just, it's so many, so many, so many opportunities, even from an organizational standpoint. Um, you know, I have a board member who's been pressing me, pressing me, pressing me for at least the last two years about, um, thinking about how we take some of our curriculum virtually um, and support, you know, a, a broader a, array of students, not just in Georgia, but, but perhaps globally, you know, mm -hmm. he's like a lot of kids across the world could benefit from, you know, some of the curriculum and activities that you do. How do you think about how you take this, how you take this approach of being a second family to kids globally and virtually. So, mm -hmm. um, and we're always too busy to explore innovation sometimes um, and, and those special initiatives. So I think this will, you know, give us the opportunity to do that. Um, and that's kind of small organizationally, but from a, from a, a big picture standpoint, you know, what I'm hoping uh, is not lost is that this fact that uh, I feel like our humanity is recalibrated and I'm, I'm hoping that that's not lost and that the empathy that has grown in people's hearts, the kindness that we see from kids and their parents and people giving to one another now, I'm hoping that that's not lost. That's our biggest opportunity. We were, I believe, completely divided. For, for, for many reasons. Um, and I think that this situation has um, torn down those barriers of division. And I think it's, I think that's our biggest opportunity as, as, as humans is to, to not forget to be kind and not forget to be together. Right. Well, so, Kadira, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Uh, I wish you well, and uh, I, I wish uh, the Future Foundation uh, well also, because you're doing amazing work up there. Thank you. Stay safe and healthy. Likewise. So that was Kadira Abdurrahim from the Future Foundation in Atlanta. Uh, she and her team and her brother Sharif are doing extraordinary things up there uh, to change and help their community and give back. And we laugh about it a little bit, uh, the idea of scaling it to every neighborhood around the country who needs it. But... Uh, it's not really a joke. It's something I think that could really be done and could really help um, education throughout America. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you did too. Thanks for listening. And be careful out there. When you lose something, you can't If you find yourself enjoying the Story Forge podcast, please give us a review at Apple Podcasts or we're on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps others find the show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you do. All recording, editing, and executive producing tasks are handled by yours truly, Lyle Smith of Nimble Smith, the content marketing agency. 
This podcast would not be possible without the sincerely excellent help of our friend and associate producer, Anthony Sergi, who produces numerous podcasts, including the truly excellent A Guest in the House about all things hip-hop. The music on the podcast was provided by Jody Nardone and the Jody Nardone Trio, Lights Will Guide You Home album. And if you'd like to send us questions or feedback or suggestions for other subjects or guests, you can reach us through the StoryForge website. That's thestoryforge.com, all words separated by hyphens. Or you can email us at cheers at nimblesmith.com, spelled N-Y-M-B-L-E-S-M-I-T-H. Thanks very much. If you'll never try, you'll never know Just what you were